Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. This August, we are in a short series of four four Sundays in the I am sayings in John's Gospel. There are more than four of them, but we're only able to fit four in August. So uh, you have to bear with us. Uh, Jesus last week said, I am the resurrection and the life. This week, I am the bread of life. As Sam said last week, uh, parchment was expensive in the ancient uh, Near East. So any writer that said the same thing more than once was trying to make a particular point of emphasis. I am the bread of life appears again in verse 41 and verse 48 and again in verse 51. It is the idea that frames the whole chapter of John chapter 6, I think. For thousands of years, depending on where you lived in the world, uh, bread, uh, potatoes, uh, rice were probably the staple foods that you would have eaten. They were the food of life. Uh, Even today, you'll be aware, our main meals, we often have mashed potato or or boiled rice. We have those same staples as the foundation of our uh, food. We have whole shops that sell just bread. And in Jesus' day, bread was absolutely essential. For most people, the vast majority of people, you work today, you earned your money today, and you bought bread tomorrow to feed your family. And that's how you kept going from one day to the next. Uh, You put bread on the table, that's the phrase we use, isn't it? And so there would have been no doubt in the minds of Jesus' first hearers that bread is the stuff of life. Uh, The metaphor is a powerful one. The idea of bread giving life is an easy one, but... hmm, Let me ask you a harder question. What on earth does it mean for Jesus to say that I am the bread of life? Does he mean that he gives life in exactly the same way that bread does? If he does, then surely we have to eat Jesus every day, fill our stomachs with him, so that we're able to be sustained for the next day. Is that what Jesus means? I think many of the people in his first audience thought so which is why they call it a hard saying. It's a gross image, isn't it? That blood, that tearing of flesh, that cannibalism, which is clearly immoral in the Jewish way of thinking, and I hope in the way we think as well. They get into a fierce argument about it in verse 52. And by verse 66, many of those who've been following Jesus around abandon him, saying it is a hard saying. Who can take this? Bread is easy. The bread of life is not easy to understand. To help us to get into this one verse, uh, I've got a couple of questions for us to answer this morning. Uh, We're going to use the whole context to help us to understand this one uh, verse. And the questions are these. The first is this. How on earth is Jesus bread? Or, Or perhaps we might rephrase the question... Uh, How do we eat this bread? Is it the same way we eat other breads? Actually, the nature of the bread determines the nature of the eating. Uh, The second question we need to answer is this. What is the nature of the life that Jesus offers to us? Is it the same sort of life that bread offers to us? Or is it quantitatively or qualitatively different in some way? I'm going to struggle to say those two words during this sermon. Forgive me. And my aim today is really to look at those two questions as a way of understanding this passage. We're not going to look at every part of this passage, it's a long text. I'd love to teach it over several weeks, but we've got one sermon for this. 
we're going to look at uh, this whole passage to see how John presents the answer to those questions. Before we get to those two questions, which really are raised by our, uh, our passage this morning, we need to answer a prior question, which is why on earth is Jesus addressing this here anyway? Why does Jesus say it? Why does John preserve it for us? He's the only uh, uh, one of the, the gospel writers who preserves this long narrative for us. And really the first half of the chapter up to verse 34 is just preparatory for Jesus to finally say, I am the bread of life. How do we get to that point where that's, that, that in any way is a sensible thing for Jesus to say? I think there are, there are two passages that run through, through our passage this morning, two issues that Jesus has to address with this phrase, I am the bread of life. The first is about spiritual sight. Do we see who Jesus is? The crowd here, there are lots and lots of verbs of perception in this passage, and often they're, they're related to seeing but not really seeing. The crowd see Jesus, but they don't see who Jesus really is. Oh, they see his power. Of course they see his power. He does miracles. Uh, signs of healing at the beginning of the chapter, signs of uh, feeding the 5,000. There's also a little miracle of Jesus walking on the water, which we're going to skip over largely. But it leads them to make the wrong conclusions. The second issue is uh, they have completely worldly expectations of what Jesus is about. Okay? Their lack of spiritual sight means they have purely worldly ambitions for Jesus and his ministry. Let me show you how that works in the beginning of our passage. Uh, verses 1 to 15, uh, the feeding of the 5,000, probably the most famous miracle Jesus did. It's in all four Gospels, the only miracles in all four Gospels. Uh, you'll know the story. Jesus uh, is uh, on a remote hillside. A big crowd come to him. They're hungry. He sends his disciples for food. They panic. We haven't got the money. There's no baker able to feed this many people. Jesus, what are you talking about? Jesus uh, breaks a little packed lunch uh, to feed uh, all the people who are there and has more food left over than he had to start with. It's uh, clearly a miracle. And in verse 14, we get the conclusion of the crowd. The people saw the sign that Jesus performed. That word sign is really important in John's Gospel. Uh, because it says uh, the thing that Jesus did points to something else. They see the feeding and they rightly conclude, verse, uh, verse 14, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. That's a right conclusion. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, uh, Moses says, a prophet is going to come like me, you must listen to him. And they look at Jesus and go, feeding miracle, bit like Moses, this is probably the prophet that Moses is talking about. What are we going to do with this? The right conclusion, they see something of who Jesus is and they make completely the wrong connection. Now look at verse 15. Uh, they intended to come and make him king by force. You see that? Jesus is just like Moses. He's in a wilderness. He feeds the people. So he's just like Moses. Well, what did Moses do? Moses' big thing was he rescued the people from the Egyptians to freedom. So Jesus must be here to sort out the Romans. That's how it works, right? If he's just like Moses, he's come to do the same thing as Moses. Political solutions. He is the one to fix Brexit. Then we, we skip over the, the, the walking on the water because Jesus does the same thing. Verse 26, they, they come to him, verse 25. Jesus, how did you get it? Come on, tell us about this walking on the water. Jesus goes, well, let me, now, you're, you're completely, let, let's change the subject entirely. Verse 26, very truly I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Okay, so we're back to the feeding. You saw the sign, 
but you didn't see the sign. You didn't see the thing the sign points to. Many years ago, I was uh, walking along the grass verge beside a country lane with a, a friend chatting uh, heatedly about something we just heard in a talk. I was pushing my bike along. I came to a pole sticking out of the ground. I pushed my bike around the pole and then walked face first into the road sign. It was one of those big triangular signs with an exclamation mark in the middle of it. And it was the, the warning sign, beware, and I completely missed the sign. I, I, I pretty nearly broke my nose, I think. And it is the same thing here. They see the sign, but they don't see the sign. It's there, right in front of them, and they do not see uh, what the sign is telling them. They want Jesus to be a bread-vending machine. Uh, Moses gave them manna in the wilderness for 40 years. They prayed to God. God gave them food every morning to keep a, a whole nation alive for 40 years in the wilderness where there is no supermarket. And they see Jesus do the feeding of the 5,000 and think, this is brilliant. Jesus can do the same thing. I never have to go to work again. 40 years of Jesus handing out free sandwiches. I mean, it's like having a Greg's in your house, right? You just put the money in, you get your sandwich out, I never have to go to work again. Do you see, they've made the same mistake that the political people have made in verse 15. They think that Jesus is about this world and solving this world's problems. Maybe it's on the, on the macro scale, political issues, and it's on the micro scale of my home economics, the finances for my family. Let's, not, let's be clear, it would be brilliant, wouldn't it, if Jesus solved political problems and also gave us free food. Like, it would be brilliant, but they've completely missed the point of the signs. They want this world fixes, and Jesus has come to do something quite different. And we have to see what the signs are pointing to in order to engage with Jesus properly. They want here and now solutions. Jesus is doing something very different. They've got Jesus wrong. They lack spiritual sight. They cannot see past the thing in front of them. They can't see past the the miracle. And their obsession with this world leads them to ask Jesus for something more impressive. Did you see that? Verse 30. Come on, Jesus. Moses gave us food for 40 years for a whole nation. There's like 1.6 million people in a wilderness. And Moses fed them for 40 years. That's an awful lot of sandwiches, Jesus. What are you going to do to top that? That's what he says. What will you do? Well, Jesus does do something much more impressive than Moses. But the miracle of the feeding of life actually blinds them to seeing what Jesus is doing. Do you notice that? They're so obsessed with the free food... They never look beyond the free food to what Jesus is about. But they've just experienced perhaps one of the most breathtaking miracles that ever, ever happened in Jesus' ministry. And they're so obsessed with Jesus repeating the miracle over and over and over again that they don't see what it's pointing to, who Jesus is, and what he's really in the world to do. They want this world sorted. Their ambitions are far, far too low. That's the context. Spiritually blind people looking for Jesus to do this world solutions to this world problems and failing to see who Jesus really is. And before we go on, it's very easy, isn't it, to think, if I were there, I wouldn't make the same mistake. And surely I would see what Jesus is about. And yet, it's so easy for our prayer lives to reflect our desire for Jesus to fix stuff here. 
I don't know how often you pray for people's eternal destiny, how often you pray for your own ongoing to eternity uh, destiny. How often you pray for friends who don't know Jesus. And how much we pray for God to fix here and now problems. Uh, fix my boss. Give me a spouse. Fix my spouse. Help my kids to get along with each other. Please fix Brexit. My job's at risk. Uh, please fix me. Uh, I've got this problem. This ongoing sin. This ongoing condition. My body's falling apart. Please fix this world. Make my life easier. Happier. Give me the free bread, Jesus. And of course, Jesus can do all of that. And sometimes does do all of that. It's not that God isn't concerned for us, not that he doesn't love us enough to give us things that are good for us, but that isn't what Jesus is really about. And if we miss that, we actually miss the whole orientation of the Christian life. So let's come back to the question of what is this life that Jesus offers? Is it quantitatively or qualitatively different? There, I've got the words out. Is it different to the life that Hovis offers? Other bakeries are available Consider verse 53. Unless you eat the flesh and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Even while you're walking around eating a sandwich, you have no life in you. And there's a sort of life that you can lack whilst looking especially alive. Verse 49, Jesus addresses the problem with Hovis. Uh, again, I don't mean to bang onto that one. Uh, bakery. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. There is a sort of life that bread can give you, which is not real life. Because it doesn't stop you dying in the end. It just postpones your death one day at a time. Verse, um, uh, verse uh, 49 again. Uh, no, wrong verse. There is a bread that comes down from heaven which everyone may eat and not die. 50. Sorry. Do you see that? There's a bread you can eat and still die. There's a bread you can eat that means you will never die. What's Jesus about? He's not about this life. Do you want the life that is sustained by bagels or do you want the life that is immortal? <coughs> sustained by something that you cannot buy in Sainsbury's. They come to Jesus for bread, verse 26, and he says, verse 27, do not work for the food that spoils. You know that, you leave your bread in the bread bin for a few days and it starts to go mouldy. And even if you eat the bread, we start to go mouldy, don't we? The food spoils, we spoil, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Eternal life, that is never ending, a hundred billion years and then some. Verse 51, what is this food? I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Do you see the offence of what Jesus is saying here? Jesus offers life forever. He is the sort of bread that gives eternal life even beyond the grave. That's why he repeatedly says, I will raise them up at the last day. He's saying, I'm giving you resurrection life. Yes, you may die. And I will raise you and you will never die. Jesus is not whatever you want him to be. 
And his agenda is not whatever you might hope it is. Jesus is about eternal life. That's what he's come to offer to us. That's what's on the table. Are you interested in that? I wonder, do you ever think about your death? My dad turns 81 in a couple of months' time, and I, you know, I do think about his death. Not sure how, how much he thinks about it. But as you get older, it does start to, to loom on the horizon, doesn't it? I was chatting with a friend of mine uh, yesterday. We're both uh, approaching our 40th, and both of us are just, our bodies are starting to, to, to give us trouble. The sort of trouble that doesn't go away if you just give it time. It gets worse. And we were reflecting, you know, when you're 23, 24, you feel indestructible. You've got all the energy in the world. You've got all this free time and, and, and some resources, and you feel like the whole world's in front of you. And as you begin to get a little bit older, you know, that longing for the new creation starts to become a little bit easier. You know, that, that repairing of your body, that immortality. I wonder, do you ever think about it? Stop and really think, that is what Jesus is about. That is what Jesus offers. We so often want Jesus to be the genie in the lamp, don't we? We, we want to rub the lamp, Jesus comes out, and we say, right, Jesus, please give us this thing now. Whatever it is. You pray, pray prayers like that? My life would be sorted out, Jesus, if you just gave me this thing. And we get that thing, because Jesus is generous, and we rub the, lip, the lamp again and say, Jesus, it hasn't really worked. I need another, I need, another, I need a promotion now. I need, I need that car. I, I need that person in my life. I need something else. Because life is too difficult, Jesus, please. And it's not that Jesus won't give us great things now. He often does, because he's incredibly generous and loves us very much. But he is most concerned that we are with him in eternity. This life is but the dot. You know, 80 years if you're lucky. And Jesus is talking about an eternity that stretches on into numbers that are, are very hard for us to understand. So how about you? Do you come to Jesus for your earthly desire to be fulfilled? Perhaps you've had Christianity sold to you. Perhaps you're not yet a believer this morning and you've had Christianity sold to you as Jesus fixing the problems in your life. And I want to say, he may do that. But he's really come to fix the big problem in your life, which is your death. I wonder how much does Jesus' horizon and ours, do they meet together? Or are we so busy looking down at now that we fail to see the timeline that Jesus is really concerned with? Jesus does offer life. John 10, 10, life to the full. Life with him in his perfect kingdom as perfected people forever and ever. That is what's on offer. Anything less than that is just not worth having by comparison. And if you do want it, then you need to know how to eat Jesus, don't you? I mean, that's the point. If, if eternal life is what the bread of life is about, then how on earth do you eat this bread? The Bible is not a fan of cannibalism, nor am I. I hope you're not either. So how do we eat Jesus? Jesus uses the imagery of eating bread to talk about how we get eternal life. It's a metaphor. We're not supposed to take it literally, just so you're aware. But let's see how that works. Let's see how, how the, the metaphor maps onto the reality in three verses in that passage. Uh, let me take you to verse 54 to begin with. 
where Jesus clearly states the metaphorical language, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. There's the promise, eternal life, resurrection forever, attached to the eating and drinking of Jesus. It's picture language. It is the troubling image that causes people to go, I don't want anything to do with this. This is mental. And they walk away. But notice how similar the language is to verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. So so which is it, Jesus? Is it looking hard at Jesus and believing in him or is it eating Jesus and drinking Jesus? Which one is it? You can't have it both ways, Jesus, unless they're the same thing. Unless the one is a metaphor for the other. Eating and drinking Jesus is looking hard at who Jesus is and believing in him. Take verse 35, uh, our verse for the day. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus, there's the eating and drinking, which is the hunger and the thirst. But Jesus, you, you satisfy the hunger not by eating, but by coming to Jesus. You satisfy the thirst not by drinking, but by believing in him. So you put those those three verses together, and what do you have? There is a spiritual hunger, a spiritual thirst, which Hovis cannot satisfy. Only Jesus can. And just as we eat bread to sustain our bodies, to give us energy and, uh, and growth, so we look at Jesus, really look at him. Look past the miracle to what that says about who he is. That he's the son that God sent into the world to save the world. We see in him, in his ability to uh, break a little sandwich into uh, food for for maybe 20,000 people, 5,000 men, maybe their whole families are there, maybe 20,000 people get fed with a little packed lunch. And there's so much left over, they've got enough for, for sandwiches for days afterwards. And why? Because Jesus gives abundant life. He can provide everything we need for eternity with him. And the question the passage therefore raises for us is quite pointed. Do you really see Jesus? Do we look at the signs, the miracles that Jesus has recorded in this this book of John's Gospel, and do we go, that's really impressive, Jesus can do these amazing things on earth, or do we look at those things and see what the power of Jesus proves about him, which is that he can provide everything that our souls desire. That he is the thing that our souls desire. Not for 40 years in the wilderness, but for an eternity with him. You have to come to Jesus. And you have to believe in him. And perhaps that raises the question, why? Why do we have to believe in Jesus? Why is that the only way to have eternal life? I think our passage gives us two brief points on this. And they both matter enormously. And the first is this. Because Jesus introduces us to God. If you want to have eternal life, which is, according to John 17, knowing God, intimately related to God, then you have to come through Jesus. There's no other way. Verse 46, no one has ever seen the Father except, there is an exception, the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Brothers and sisters, let me be clear, you cannot have a relationship with God unless you know who he is. And you can only know who God is by coming to Jesus, because only Jesus has seen God, and if chapter 5 is to believe, Jesus lives out exactly how God lives. You look at Jesus, you see what the Father is like. Jesus makes it precisely that came in chapter 14. 
Jesus makes an exclusive claim. Come to me, look hard at me, believe in me, and you will have the Father. You will have eternity with him. Seeing Jesus as he really is really matters, friends. And that leads naturally to the second point. Take a look at verse 63. Jesus, the words I've spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Because Jesus' words reveal God to us, who is the source of all life. Chapter 5 tells us that. Which means as, as you come to Jesus and believe him, which means believing the words Jesus says about himself and about God, you are receiving that life. Come to Jesus, see who he is, and believe his words. And you will have life through the Spirit. Isn't that what separates the the true disciples from the ones who fall away here? Did you notice that? Just what what Peter says in verse 68, right at the end of our passage. Jesus, do you want to go away as well? I mean, is everyone going to abandon me at this point? Because I said, come and and believe in me. And Peter, very astutely, very rare for Peter to be quite so astute, but he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else can I go, Jesus? For the words of eternal life. You and you alone have the words of eternal life. Your words are spiritual life. Your words reveal the Father to us. Your words are about eternal life through you. If I go anywhere else, I cannot have eternal life, Jesus. I have to stick with you. Whatever that means for this life, I have to stick with you. And so, friends, do you want eternal life? I mean, do you really want it? Do you actually look at your own death coming on the horizon, wherever it might come, and think, I don't want that to be the end? I don't want that to render everything I achieve completely meaningless here. Then come to Jesus. Come on his terms. Not for the things that you want, but for the things that he offers. Come to him as he reveals the Father to you. His compassion, his love, his mercy, his grace. His willingness to give you abundant life. If only you come on his terms. Being a Christian can be very hard indeed. I've been preparing Hebrews chapter 11 for small groups for next year. And and it's hard to avoid, isn't it, in Hebrews 11, that there are lots of Christians who live very devout lives who end up suffering terribly. Jesus doesn't say, come to me and I'm going to give you health, wealth and and blessings now. Sometimes people get health, wealth and blessings now and sometimes they get sawn in half. And Jesus makes no promise for an easy life here. He says, when when your years here are done, I will give you an eternal life that is so good that everything that happens here will be redeemed and put in its proper perspective when you come. All of which might just just leave you with one last question, which I'll I'll address before we finish. If what Jesus is offering is so good, why do so many people walk away from him here? Is that that remarkable? Jesus says, come to me for eternal life. All you have to do is believe in me and you can have eternal life. And his disciples turn away. People who've been following him turn away. It's too hard, Jesus. Is it simply because they're so obsessed with this world and Jesus, I'm not, I'm not here to deal with the Romans. I'm not here to give you, be a bread vending machine for your front room. I'm here to do something different. Maybe, in human terms, maybe that's what it looks like. But the reality that runs through this whole passage is they're spiritually blind. And until that blindness is removed, they cannot come to Jesus. Jesus says precisely that. Verse 36, you've seen me, and yet you've not seen me, because you still do not believe. 
perhaps uh, you're in that situation yourself. You've, you've heard uh, the Bible taught, you've read the Bible, you've, you've, you've come to church many times, and yet you still have no concept of who Jesus is. It's just so hard, like, the words just sort of bounce off your head. Please listen up just for, just for this one sentence. If that's you, please pray. Maybe you've never prayed. Please pray and ask God to remove your blindness. Take the scales from your eyes and see who Jesus is. Perhaps you're, you're here with a friend and you're a Christian and, and you know your friend is in that situation. Please pray for them. If they won't pray for themselves, please pray for them. Please pray for your friends and family members. Why can they not see? Verse 44 states it negatively. Verse 37 states it positively. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father sent, who sent me draws him. Unless God acts, we're all blind. Which, by the way, means that if you have come to Jesus, it's because God has done a miracle in your life. He's opened your eyes to see who Jesus is. And for any of your friends and who can't see who Jesus is, they need God to act. We must pray. Or to put it more positively, verse 37. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Until God acts, we are unable to come to Jesus and believe. It seems like such an easy thing, doesn't it? Come to Jesus, see him clearly, believe him, and yet we can't do it without God acting. And yet, when God opens our eyes and God gives us as a gift to the Son, Jesus takes us and he will never let us go. I wonder, have you come to Jesus? Some of us, that will have happened 20, 30, 40 years ago. Know that Jesus has got hold of you and he will not let you go. Perhaps you might be coming to Jesus for the first time this morning. And you're just a bit anxious about stepping out into the Christian life and following Jesus. Can I say, if God is giving you to the Son, you are quite safe. God gives people to Jesus. We can only tell who those people are because they have their eyes opened. And they come to Jesus and believe for eternal life. They eat his flesh, they drink his blood, they, they metaphorically speaking, they, they own Jesus for themselves. And in that moment of receiving the truth about Jesus, the Spirit comes and gives life. And we are new people with a new eternal future. And Jesus will not let any of us go. I wonder, do you find that comforting? I find it enormously comforting. Because this life can be really tough, can't it? It can be very up and down. There's no promise that it's going to be an easy life for us. We're, we're about to move to, to Hull, take our pastorate uh, up in Hull. It could go horribly wrong, humanly speaking, couldn't it? We've had such a wonderful four years here. We, we love you guys very, very much. And it's a little bit scary to be leaving. Because humanly speaking, it could go horribly wrong. And yet Jesus promises to keep hold of us. By faith, as we keep trusting him. There's no safer place to be than in the arms of a sovereign God. Coming to faith in Jesus is the one thing that God wants for us. The work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. It's the one thing that he asks every one of us in this room to do. And I'm going to pray that God will enable us to do it right now. Should we pray? Now, Father, if you do not act, we are helpless and lost. So I do pray for any in this room who 
don't yet know you as their Saviour and Lord, please, our Father, open blind eyes, let the scales fall away. Would they see Jesus clearly, not just the miracles, but what the miracles point to, your abundant provision and life in Christ. For those of us who've been Christians for some time, our Father, give us great assurance. You have done a miracle in our lives to bring us to see who Jesus is. And you will bring us home safely. And therefore, our Father, please would you reshape our horizons to coincide with Jesus' horizon. Not hoping that you're going to give us everything we want in this life, but sure and certain that you will give us everything that we need for all eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.